Good morning. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along in it, uh, I encourage you to open it to the book of Genesis. If you don't have one with you, there should be one in the rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, please take that one uh, as a gift. Love for you to have it. Put your name in it and read it. So, uh, Genesis chapter 15 today. I really am encouraged in, in this journey we're on through Genesis. And, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why I am encouraged by it. I'm encouraged because Genesis and really all of the Bible holds up this guy named Abram as an example of someone who believed God, someone who was right with God, accepted by God, blessed by God. And that, that encourages me. You know, we are really into uh, believing God as a church. Uh, we talk about that all the time. It's really the, the foundational thing. You know, believe God, trust God. Um, and here's this guy, and, and as we're going to see as we go through Genesis, we're going to see other people held up as examples of those who believe God. And yet, when I look at his life, I see some other things um, that what I find encouraging about it is, here's a guy who believes God, and yet I see things like fear. He struggles with fear. I see him struggling with questions. I see him struggling with doubts. And yet, here's a guy who believes God and is right with God. I think that's really encouraging. You know, if you're here today and you have come to that place of becoming a follower of Jesus, you know, you've crossed the line, so to speak. You have said yes to him. You have said yes to his offer of eternal life, forgiveness of sin, everything you need most. You've said yes to that. You've put your hope in Christ. And then you find yourself at times struggling with things like fear and, and questions and maybe even doubts. And it's possible, I know it's happened to me, that because of questions, doubts, fears, you find yourself maybe wondering, am I really a person who believes God? Do I believe God or not? Maybe I'm just kidding myself here. Maybe I don't really believe. Maybe I'm not really right with God. If you've ever been there, then Genesis 15 has some really important things for you to hear. And if you're here today and you, you've crossed the line, you've put your trust in Christ, and you have never, ever struggled with fear or questions or doubts, I want to encourage you to stay tuned anyway because I'm just going to suggest that that very well could happen to you at some point in life. And so it'd be good to go into that armed with truth. And if you're here today and you're not yet across the line, you haven't yet said yes to Jesus and embraced him and received him into your life, uh, maybe you're here and you're just kind of wondering what this whole believing God thing is all about. Then I'm glad you're here and encourage you to stay tuned as well. So let's read chapter 15. And see what God's word has to say to us here. So chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Apparently that was his head servant. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, that is Abram, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I want you to focus first on verse 6. And he, that is Abram, believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. This is one of the most important statements in all of the Bible. This is so crucial. Because this, what this says here is critical for us to understand how it can be that God accepts people like us, okay? People who fall short, way short, way short of God's standards. People who have chosen again and again to disregard him, to ignore him, to defy him, to rebel against him, to go our own way in spite of what he thinks or says about anything. How can it be that sinners like us can be right with God who is absolutely holy and perfect and just? It is 
so important that we get this. Really, this is the most important question there is. I mean, there may be other issues in your life right now that you're dealing with, and I don't mean to depreciate or to, to minimize any of those things. But this is ultimately what matters most. How does a person get right with God? Because whatever else happens in your life, whatever else happens, one day you are going to stand before God and this is going to be the issue. Are you right with him or not? Are you acceptable to him or not? It's going to be the only issue that counts. So what has to happen for you to be acceptable to God in spite of whatever failures, whatever mistakes, whatever sins you are guilty of? It's huge. This is absolutely huge. So, you know, if, if, if you're feeling sleepy because it's warm, maybe you didn't sleep well last night, I, this would be one of those times when I'd say, you know, if I could, just everybody slap yourself in the face and embrace yourself because this is huge. This is, I mean, I, I don't know how to, how to say this is so huge. Okay, Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul refers to this very verse in Genesis, and he explains it. Romans chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For what does the Scripture say? And he refers to this verse in Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now he goes on. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, his trusting, is counted as righteousness. In other words, righteousness. Think of it as being right with God. That's what we're talking about. Being right with God. Being, in God's eyes, acceptable. Being right with Him, it's a gift. Being right with God is a gift. It's not a wage. And that is a huge difference. It is huge. Because you don't earn righteousness. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many good deeds you do, you don't earn it. It can't be earned. Righteousness is not like a paycheck. Okay, You earn a paycheck. You go to work, you do what your boss tells you to do, and you do your work, and they pay you. It's a wage. It's a paycheck. That's how you get uh, a wage, you earn it. That is not, absolutely not how we get righteousness. We don't do something to earn righteousness. Instead, we trust God to do something to earn it for us. Okay? Being right with God is a gift. It's a gift that God gives us when we trust Him to do what it says right here in verse 5, to justify the ungodly. 
Now, we need to think about this for a minute. What does that mean, justifying the ungodly? Well, first of all, who are the ungodly? Everybody raise your hand. Okay, good. That's us. Okay, that's anybody who has violated any of God's standards. And you all have. So have I. So we're the ungodly. Okay, what does it mean to justify the ungodly? Justify is a legal term. It's a courtroom word. Okay, justification is what happens when the judge, the jury say not guilty. The accused is not guilty. When that judge wraps his gavel on the desk and says case dismissed, the, the accused has been justified, not guilty, free to go, no penalty to pay. Okay, well, the courtroom we have in view here is the highest courtroom of all, way, way above the Supreme Court. Okay, this is the courtroom of God, the judge of all the universe. And it says here that God will justify the ungodly through faith. Now, what does that mean? How can God possibly declare us not guilty? How can he release us from having to pay any penalty for our crimes against him? How can that be? We are guilty. We are guilty. How can God justify the ungodly? How can he say that the guilty are not guilty? We have a word for that. You know what it's called? Injustice. It's injustice when a judge calls guilty people not guilty. It's a big problem. So how is God not unjust? God from whom we get our whole concept of justice in the first place. How can God do something that seems unjust? Well, it would be unjust except for one thing. One crucial thing. Someone else who's not guilty, who is perfectly innocent, willingly paid the penalty for us. That's the critical issue. Romans 4, 23-25, look at it. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake, that is Abram's sake alone, but for ours also. Genesis 15.6 was written for our sake, it's saying. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The reason God can justify the ungodly and not be guilty of injustice is because justice is satisfied by Jesus who died in our place. Okay, God, as it were, takes our sins, places them on Christ, on the cross, and he takes Christ's righteousness and he places it on us. See, this is a judicial act. Justice is satisfied in this and only this. God considers us righteous when we trust Christ because of what Christ did for us on the cross. See, justice will be done. It'll be done in one of two ways. It's either counted as done through Christ on the cross for those who trust in him, or it will be done in hell. 
justice will be done. So being right with God, being right with God is not something we achieve. It's not something we achieve. It's something we receive. I think it'd be really great if we all said that together, right? So we're going to say this. Being right with God is not something we achieve. It's something we receive. Ready? Here we go. Being right with God is not something we achieve. It's something we receive as a free gift when we believe God. That's what this is saying. That's how it happened for Abram. That's how it happened for Abram. Abram believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteous. All right, well, let's, let's do some more thinking about this, because we need to think about this word, believe. What does it mean to believe the way Abram believed? Because, you know, most people, if you ask them, will say they believe in God in, in some way, in, in, you know, some kind of belief. But these verses are not talking about any kind of belief in any kind of God. That's not what it's saying. Look, it says, Abram believed the Lord. Now, you need to know, if you don't, in your Bible, you'll see the Lord is in all caps. Everybody see that in Genesis 15, 6? What that means is that's actually the word Yahweh. That is the name, the Hebrew covenant name for the true God. The creator, the one who back in chapter 1 created heaven and earth, the one who created humanity in his own image, the one who appeared to Abram and promised to make him a great nation and to bless all the peoples of the earth through him. It's believing him, that person, that God, the one true God. It's believing in him that's the issue. And what did it mean for Abram to believe? Okay, look at this. It says that God told Abram to go outside and look up at the stars and try to count them. And then God says to him, that's how many offspring you're going to have. That's impossible. That's absolutely impossible. That's an impossible promise. Why? Because Abram and his wife Sarai have no children. They can't have children. They're too old. There's no way this can happen unless God does it. And Abram, Abram looks up and he hears this impossible promise and he looks at the stars and he says, okay, okay. I believe you. I believe you. I'm going to put my hope in your promise. That's what it means to believe. It means to believe, to put your hope in God's promise to do what would otherwise be impossible. That's what it means to believe. To put your hope in the one true God to do what would otherwise be impossible if he doesn't do it. And see, this very same God, this very same God has promised to do something for you and for me that's just as impossible. It is impossible for you to make yourself good enough for God. You can't do it. You can't do it. 
I can't do it. You know, if you've ever found yourself thinking something like this, well, you know, I'm really not that bad. Because I've never killed anybody. I've thought about it, but I've never done it. <laughs> I'm not that bad. In fact, I think I'm better than many, maybe most. And I think what really counts is that I do my best. And as long as I do my best, God is going to accept me. Friend, if you've ever thought that, I just have to tell you, it's not true. God doesn't have to accept you. And it doesn't matter how hard you try. You know, most people think I'm a pretty good guy. Don't ask my family, but most people think I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pastor for crying out loud, okay? We're professionally good people. So... Do you know what would happen if I got justice from God? Do you know what would happen if I got justice from God? I would be in hell. That's not an exaggeration. That's not just, oh yeah, sure, I mean it. I would be in hell if God gave me justice. And that's where you would be if God gave you justice. You don't want justice. If I trust in myself and my ability to achieve righteousness, I am lost. And so are you. But, good news, Romans 4.24, God will count righteousness to me if I believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. That's the one I need to believe. The God of Abram. The God who revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we believe him when we say, Okay. Okay, I'm going to trust you to do what I can't do. I'm going to put my hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus on my behalf. I am going to bank on what you have promised to do that I can't do. I believe you. I step across the line. It's not just saying it. Lots of people say it. It's not saying it. It's actually placing our hope in this God, this God who made this promise. That's the issue. So if you ask yourself, well, what am I really hoping in? Ask yourself this question. If you were to stand before God right now and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think your answer would be? If your answer begins with I, I have done this, I have done that, I did this, I've tried my best, I'm a pretty good person, I wasn't as bad as a lot of people. Your answer should start you. You sent your one and only son, Jesus. And by your grace... You offered me eternal life, and I said yes. And so, you should let me into heaven, not because of me, but because of your son who died for me. See, it's placing our hope. You made a promise, God. You said you would accept me if I would receive your son as my one and only hope. 
That's what believing God means. Putting your hope in him to do, to fulfill his promise to do what he, you could not otherwise do. That's what it means. Do you see it here? Do you see Abram believes God this way? He puts his hope in this impossible promise. And God says, righteous. Bang the gavel. So we see that here. Okay, but now we need to turn a corner here because we see some other things. What else do we see? You know what we see? We see fear. God says, don't be afraid, Abram. Have you ever noticed the only time you have to tell somebody not to be afraid is when they're afraid? He's afraid. Why? He's afraid God's promise isn't going to come true. He's getting older. You know, we see questions. How, what can you give me, Lord? I remain childless. How can I know that I will gain possession of this land? And we see doubt. Look, if Abram's asking how he can know that this is going to happen, it means in that moment he doesn't know. Or he doesn't know to the level of certainty. He's got doubts. And this is a man who believes God. This is a man who God says, righteous. And he's struggling with this stuff. And I want you to look at how God responds now. When he asks his questions, when he expresses his doubts, what does God do? He doesn't reject him. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't even scold him. I mean, isn't that the distorted picture of God that so many people carry around in their head? Maybe, you know, I've done it. You do it. That, that God is just, some, you know, some kind of tyrant, the tyrant of the universe, who's perpetually ticked off. And he is looking for any excuse to let us have it. It's not true. Look at Ezekiel 18.23. God says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? The Bible says over and over, He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Now, He is just. He will bring judgment eventually because... He has to. But he takes no pleasure in it. And we see this gracious compassion here. Uh, God responds to Abram's fears and his questions and his doubts with grace and compassion. Okay, And so now this shows us how. How we can believe God in spite of fears and questions and doubts. Okay, So two things. How we can believe God in spite of our fears, questions, and doubts. First of all, remember how great God is. Remember how great. Now, when I say the word great, I don't mean how really, 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 really good he is. We use the word great like that all the time. Oh, it's great. It's a great burrito. That means it's really good. Okay? A great burrito is a huge burrito. Not because it tastes good, because it's big. That's what great means. Really big. Awesome. Huge. Okay, Abram is afraid. What's he afraid of? He's afraid God's promises aren't coming true. They don't seem to be coming true. Everything hinges on having children, and so far, none. Okay? So, God takes Abram outside and says, look up, look at the stars. Now, why does he do that? 
Well, certainly it's to make the point that Abram's going to have a lot of descendants because there's a lot of stars. They're uncountable. But here's the thing. There are other uncountable things that God could have pointed to. And in fact, in other places he does. The sand of the seashore, the dust of the earth. Why here at this moment does God have Abram look up at the sky? Here's why I think. It's because the stars have another message besides being uncountable. Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. You know what the stars say every time we look up at them? God is great. He's great. Abram wants to know how God can possibly do his promise, and God's answer is, look up. Look what I made. I spoke this universe into existence with merely a word. I made all these stars. You know what? Giving you children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, no problem. So don't worry, I can handle it. I can do whatever I say. In the New Testament, Ephesians 3.20 describes God like this. I love this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, means you can't measure it, immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. Now, it's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to read it. It's one thing to affirm it. It's another thing to feel it. To feel it. And I think sometimes you and I need to do something to remind us that God is great in a way that we feel it. So look up at the stars. Go watch the sea crashing against the rocks. Climb a mountain or look at a mountain. Look at the majesty and just feel it. God is great. He's great. He can do everything He's promised. He can do everything He's promised. It's not a problem. But will He? Will He? You know, maybe your questions and fears and doubts are not about what God can do, but what He will do. Maybe He's not going to do it for you. So, Second thing, not only remember how great God is, remember how serious God is about keeping his promises. Okay, now we get to this very interesting passage which describes God making a covenant with Abram. Now in that culture, a covenant was what you did when you were going to make certain promises to somebody and you were going to bind yourself to keep those promises legally and morally and to stress just how serious this is some covenants were ratified with a ceremony like we have here and instead of you know piece of paper signed on the dotted line the two parties would take some sacrificial animals cut them in half and walk between the bodies you say well that's really weird i'm glad we don't do that today Okay, but here's the thing to grasp. Why? Why did they do that? They did that as a way of saying very seriously, very solemnly, if I fail to keep my word, 
then what happened to these animals? May that happen to me. So you didn't do this casually. You didn't do this unless you were absolutely dead serious about your promise. And that's exactly the point God wanted to make with Abram. He was saying, I am serious about keeping my promise. I just think about this. Think how amazing this is. You know, when we look at the story, what passes between the pieces? Abram doesn't. He just watches. We see this smoking oven and and flaming torch. What is that? Well, that's some kind of symbol of the very presence of God. God alone walks through the pieces. It's not Abram's faith that's on the line. It's God's character that's on the line. You know, God didn't have to make any promises to begin with. And then he goes beyond making a promise and he binds himself with a solemn oath. Why? All to assure Abram and us that this promise will never fail. Remember, it's God's character. It's God's integrity that's on the line. To fail Abram would be to deny himself. He will not do that. Now, you might think, well, why, why would God go to such lengths to convince, to, to assure Abram? Well, I have a better question for you. Why would God go to even greater lengths to convince us and reassure us? God made another covenant, a greater covenant. 2,000 years ago, he made a covenant sealed, not with the blood of sacrificial animals, but with the blood of his one and only son. And he did that. He did that. The the historical facts of Jesus' death and resurrection are God's absolute guarantee that he will keep his promises to you and to me. He will never fail those who put their hope in him. Look, look, Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? How could God fail to keep a promise that he sealed with the blood of his own son? He never will. He never, ever will. I mean, compared to God giving his son on the cross, keeping his promises to us, It's easy. So where does this leave us? Well, I think the takeaway is this. If you have fears, if you have questions, and if you have doubts, be encouraged. That does not automatically mean you don't believe God. Now, it could mean that. Okay, if you're here today and you have never yet put your hope in God to fulfill the promises that he made because Jesus died for our sins, if you have not yet put your hope in God, if you haven't crossed the line and received Christ and his pardon, his offer of eternal life, if you haven't done that, if you're not putting your hope in him alone to make you right with God, then you have not yet believed God the way the Bible talks about it. But if you have, if you have said, okay, God, I'm a sinner, I deserve judgment, 
but I'm going to trust you to do what you promised to do. I'm going to trust you that you will forgive me and accept me because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. If you have put your hope in Christ alone and you have believed God, the fact that you still wrestle with fears and questions and doubts doesn't change it. Doesn't change it. Because ultimately, it's not up to you and how hard you try to believe. It's up to God and the promises he made and the covenant he affirmed. So, what do you need to do? (laughs) You just need to remember and help me to remember how great God is, how great God is, and how serious he is about keeping his promises. Just a little bit, we're going to gather around the Lord's table. And the whole reason Jesus inaugurated this ceremony was to remind us of this new covenant, this promise that God has made and sealed, Christ sealed it with his own blood, to remind us that for those who believe God, for those who trust him to do what would otherwise be impossible, he's going to do it. He has done it. He will do it. He will continue to do it. Let's pray together. If you bow with me and I think of those who might be here and be hearing this and haven't yet crossed the line and I just want to say consider Jesus. Consider the promise he made. He said I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The Bible says, the one who has the Son of God has the life. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. If you don't yet have the Son of God, I encourage you, challenge you to consider saying yes to him today. And if you're here and you have said yes to him, you have believed, you have crossed the line, be encouraged in spite of your fears, in spite of your questions, in spite of your doubts, that God is great and he will keep his promise to you in Christ. Father, we thank you for this incredible promise, this incredible truth, that it's those who trust you that you make right with you. Not by any merit of our own, but solely through the merits of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to trust you to keep your promises to us. Overcome our fears, our questions, our doubts. And may we find our joy in you. We pray in Jesus' name.